Holy Spirit, we do thank you for your presence here this morning. And simply would you open our hearts and our minds to make us sensitive to your voice and speak to us through your word this morning. Build up your church. I surrender to you. I ask you would speak through me because it's all about you. Amen. You don't have to worry this morning. We won't be talking about anything controversial. I'm going to begin by talking about what I call the missing person. Um, For some time now, you've heard me lament from this pulpit how the lives of believers are just not that much different from the lives of unbelievers. Maybe you've heard me say kind of on a yearly basis, it feels like. I read the latest statistics that prove uh, this point. And you have to ask yourself, well, why is this so? And I think one of the reasons is that we still have a deficient understanding of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, It is surprising that that is the case because the work of the Holy Spirit, which is really summed up as he empowers believers to live the Christian life, it's almost always listed in a statement of faith or beliefs in any Bible-based church. You check it out. Look at some churches in their websites. For example... Um, a good friend of mine, Jesse Bradley, pastors Grace Community Church of Auburn. Their website, it plainly says this in a very succinct way. We believe in the present ministry of the Holy Spirit, by whose indwelling power and fullness, the Christian is enabled to live a godly life in the present world. Pretty simple, right? If you were to go to uh, another Grace Church, Grace Community Church of Sun Valley, California, that's a John MacArthur's church. I, I picked that church because they are a church that, <coughs> excuse me, they are a staunch uh, cessationist position. And what does it mean if you're a cessationist? It means that you do not believe that the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit are in operation anymore. They basically died at the death of the apostles. The, gifts, the miraculous gifts were given to the disciples or apostles so they could write scripture, and that's closed. Okay? So they would not believe in like tongues or healings or miracles or anything like that. It just doesn't happen anymore. They have a longer section on, on their statement of faith, but they say this. We teach that the Holy Spirit is a divine teacher who guided the apostles and prophets into all truth as they committed to writing God's revelation, the Bible. Every believer possesses the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit from the moment of salvation, and it is the duty of all those born of the Spirit to be filled with or controlled by the Spirit. So he's talking about two separate experiences of the Holy Spirit. You're dwelled at salvation, and there's another experience where you're filled or empowered or controlled by him. At Bible Chapel, we write this. We believe the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is the promise of the Father, is subsequent to the new birth, endues the believer with power, and it's the same today as in the early church. In essence, we're saying the same thing as those two other churches. Okay? And what is that message? The Holy Spirit empowers you to live the Christian life, in essence. Okay? 
it is a, and I, I read these to you because while this is a staple of sound doctrine in, in today's church, it's rarely emphasized. And in a telling sign of the times, the Assemblies of God Church, or, or, uh, or the Assemblies of God denomination, which are Pentecostal denominations, this denomination currently is split on how to conduct church. I was talking to one of the pastors uh, not long ago, and they're wrestling with this very issue. They say, do they stick with their traditional model of doing church? Whether it's, it's spirit-led preaching, uh, worship, uh, there'll be someone that may speak in tongues in their worship service, there'll be an interpretation of those tongues, hopefully, there'll be prophecies, uh, there's healings, there's miracles. They're emphasizing what, how they've always done church. Or, and about half the churches still feel this way, do they pursue more of a, an attractional or entertainment model to attract numbers? It's very simple if you want to grow a church in your strength. We would completely redesign this there would be a black background. We would have more lights. Okay. We would have, you know, I would change the way I preach. I would dumb it down to entertain. Okay. That concert setting, that's what churches do. Okay. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. There are churches that are, that's just aesthetics. There are churches that are spirit-led that have that model that are bringing people in. Okay, Something like Robert Morris's church has that background, but they clearly don't believe in an entertainment model. But it's what's out there. And this morning I just want to look at what does the Bible say about the spirit-filled life? And to begin with, I want to, this will be a little bit of a different take I think for some of you. We need to begin with who the Holy Spirit is. This will be kind of a Holy Spirit 101, but these are just a few statements about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to put these up here for you. He's a helper. This is a very, very profound verse and statement. John 16, 7, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. This is Jesus speaking. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come for you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Well, who is the helper who came? The Holy Spirit. What does the, this statement assume? You need help. The promise of a helper presupposes the fact that you and I need help. Now he's speaking to the disciples. This is Jesus speaking to them. They had all the advantages of the world, and they still needed help. there I wrote here the Holy Spirit is so important that despite all the teaching and training Jesus had done with the disciples at his ascension to heaven what does he tell them to do to wait for the promised Holy Spirit this is Acts 1 4 and 5 this is so key gathering them together he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem but to wait for what the father had promised which he said you heard of from me verse 5 for John baptized with water but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Well, he told them in John 16 that they needed help. This is what he's referring to. <laughs> you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
Well, why wait? All the advantages they had, why did they have to wait? You needed help. But what kind of help did you need? Power. You simply don't have the power to live the Christian life. They needed power, which is why there's Acts 1.8, the final verse up there. <laughs> but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. So the help that he has given you is what? Okay, you don't need to say it. You know it. You guys aren't getting it if you're not saying it. Power. You're going to have to interact with me in this. This is a teaching, not necessarily a sermon. Power. You don't have power. You need power. The Holy Spirit has power. Therefore, you must have the Holy Spirit to live successfully live the Christian life as the way God intended it. Okay? You are power insufficient. You need power. I need power. So now, what help or what power does the Holy Spirit bring to us? Well, as you can see up there, remembrance is one of the things. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will bring to your remembrance all that I have said. Do you have a memory problem? <laughs> I know a lot of us do. The older I get, the more I realize that too. I have a memory problem. But that doesn't affect your mind in terms of the Holy Spirit. How many of you have remembered a verse throughout the day? I have two people, three people raising their hands. That is not a good sign for this church. Have you ever remembered a verse in your life that you've read or heard in a sermon or read? Okay, good. Then who is doing that? The Holy Spirit. Okay. He doesn't have a memory problem. That's a heart problem of a, a, a surrender to him. But yeah, this is what he does. He brings the word of God to your mind to remember it. Okay? He is a counselor. Sit up there. A counselor. When the counselor comes, he will bear witness to me. And this is one of the things that we just fail so miserably on as Christians. We have a built-in counselor. This is one of the reasons why I don't like sending people to Christian counselors. Because Christian counselors have been typically trained in the ways of the world. Even Christian counselors are trained in the ways of the world in many ways. Okay? You have your own counselor. Do you understand that? So who do you go to first for advice? And let's be honest, though. You are to, you are to go to the Holy Spirit, but who do you typically go to? Everybody else but him. Right? Or to, or to a counselor. This is why I do not like, I mean, again, what would be one of the number one Sunday schools or Bible studies, the most well-attended that I could offer this, this church or, in, or even in this community? How to discover God's will for your life. As if I have some model that I can pass on to you so you will know what God's will is. Here's the deal. You'll never know until you cultivate a personal relationship with God and he reveals his will to you. But most people aren't willing to put the work into that. You have a built-in counselor. He will counsel you. He will guide you far more than you. He will guide you to who to marry. You know that? Amen. I knew I was going to marry my wife. 
God had told me that. When I, in Camp Ricochet, when I, when I, I, there was a joke that was going on in this big conference that if God ever told you to marry your wife, I said, yes, God told me that. He kind of like mocked me and so on, like as if you couldn't know. Well, that's because he didn't cultivate a personal relationship. You can know which, he's directing me which car he wants me to buy to come to this place from Indiana. He is a counselor, okay? And he's there for a reason. All to put me within the will of God and to put us within the will of God. And this next one is just, it, it, you have to have a relationship to experience it. And it's a relationship with the Holy Spirit. He reveals the future. Think about in the Bible. Did he reveal the future to the son? Yes. Did he reveal the future to Peter? What did he reveal to Peter? How he would die. Did he reveal the future to Paul? Yes. There was suffering was coming for him. Okay? He reveals the future. John 16, 13, and 14. For he, meaning the Holy Spirit, will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. Now I'm going to go back and read to you, again, verse 14 here. He will glorify me. Uh, verse 14, 26. He will bring to remembrance what I have said. The counselor will bear witness to me. The spirit points to Jesus. You see that? Not to himself. Holy Spirit bears witness to Jesus, not to himself. Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus, not himself. Holy Spirit brings to remembrance the words of Jesus. Dale Bruner uh, has said that the ministry of the Holy Spirit can be pictured in this way. The Spirit withdraws from sight and points to Jesus, saying, Notice him. Listen to him. Pay attention to him. Fall in love with him. Be preoccupied with him. So the desire to worship and to praise Jesus. You ever felt that before? You ever thought and felt that? Okay. That's the Holy Spirit at work in you to go to Jesus. Did you realize that? That's the whole ministry of the Spirit, Bruner says. It's not to draw attention to himself, but to keep drawing people back to Jesus. He goes on to say, it's often been said the Holy Spirit is the Cinderella of the Trinity, the great neglected person of the Godhead. But the Holy Spirit's desire and work is that we become, that we be overcome again, thrilled again, excited and gripped again by the wonder, majesty, and relevance of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit does not mind being Cinderella outside the ballroom if the prince is honored in his kingdom. And now we know his kingdom certainly isn't in Florida at Walt Disney World. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Jesus is, is woke. There's a story from the life of the great orchestra conductor, but I'm going to mess this name, Arturo Toscanini. and illustrates the point I'm making. One day Toscanini was rehearsing Beethoven's magnificent Ninth Symphony with the New York Philharmonic Orchestra. And he did such a brilliant job of direction that when the rehearsal ended, the musicians rose as a man and cheered him. <coughs> Excuse me. 
desperately Toscany tried to stop their ovation, wildly waving his arms, crying to them to desist. When there was a law in the ovation, Toscanini's broken voice could be heard. This is what he said. It isn't me. It's Beethoven. Toscanini is nothing. Beethoven is everything. And so knowing that the Holy Spirit will continue to shine the spotlight on Jesus, I still want to draw the attention to more of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because it's time for us to see him as he really is. He is the third person of the Trinity, which I put this up here. He is a person. Okay? There's been, it feels like, irreparable damage when he's called the Holy Ghost. Okay? Because of what the word ghost imprints upon our psyche. He has a will, Romans 8, 27. And he who searches our hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Or he has a mind, excuse me. He has a mind, the mind of the Spirit. He has emotions, Ephesians 4.30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He can be grieved. He has emotions. And he has a will. 1 Corinthians 12.11. All these, talking about spiritual gifts, are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who points to each one individually as he wills. So he has a mind, he has emotion, and he has will. Okay? That's the Holy Spirit. That makes up what, what is a person. Now, if we're ever going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit... As all those statements of faith say, we need to recognize his activity in our day-to-day lives. And this is the challenge. A sensitivity to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it only comes through cultivating a personal relationship with him or a friendship. You have to begin to think of him in that way. He's also the spirit of truth. Now think about this. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. If you are spirit-led, filled the spirit, you can be sure then that you'll be led into the truth, that you have some grasp of the truth. And of course, if you're filled with the spirit, you'll want to read the truth, which is the Bible, and put put it in you. Then he'll bring to remembrance the verses you've read and apply them in your lives. He he convicts. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That's kind of just a a real brief take on the Holy Spirit. And who he is and what he does. Okay? Now, that's all good, but it means nothing unless you do this. There's a command to be filled. Everyone turn your Bibles to Ephesians 5. This has everything to do with you now. I'm going to start talking about the human heart. The command to be filled. I say it again, as we, and we'll get into this a little bit more next week. Every believer in Jesus Christ, at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit indwells you. Okay? But not every believer has the Holy Spirit 
controlling them. Or uh, substitute the word for control for empower. Or substitute the word filled for control or empower. Okay? Ephesians 5, 18 to 21. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all the things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, if you, if you might remember this, but if you don't, it should be something that you should ask the Holy Spirit to bring to your remembrance. The phrase, but be filled in this verse. Does anyone know what I'm going to say? It's in the continuous present tense. Now, what does that mean? Continually. It's simple. It's a present tense. It's ongoing. It indicates a moment-by-moment need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Hence, the phrase, or the title of this sermon, the Spirit-filled moment. No, it's a Spirit-filled life. It's not one moment. It's a life. It's a spirit-filled life. So here are some observations just about this verse we just read here. The filling or the empowering is not a one-time experience. There is one baptism into the body of Christ, that's salvation, but there are many fillings. And you'll notice that in this verse, the filling or the empowering is to worship, to praise, to offer thanksgiving. And one other point that you'll see, verse 21, and we don't typically think of this, but it's right here in the text, which is what? If you are spirit-filled, you will do what? Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ, that is submission. Now, did you ever think about that in connection to the Spirit-filled life? That is a result of being filled with the Spirit. So if you are not submitting to one another, what does that mean? You are not controlled by the Spirit. And it, look, this last point here, because... If you look in your Bibles, you can see what follows this command are instructions of relationships. You see that in your Bible? There's the marriage relationship, right? The parent-child relationship and the employer-employee relationship. I mean, God is, is wise. He knows in our fallen state that relationships can be taxing. If you're married and you're telling me that, you, that, that marriage does not work, you're lying to me. And you're not filled with the Spirit, right? And you, again, think about the marriage relationship. Two equals, the man, male and female, husband and wife, but one is called to submit. Wives, you don't submit to your husbands. What does that mean? You're not filled with the Spirit. Notice what the Spirit does. He doesn't speak on his own initiative. Who is he submitting to? The Father. And what he hears, he speaks. And likewise, husbands, you're, there's a mutual submission in many ways. You are to submit 
and put the interests of your wife first. You're not doing that. You're not filled with the Spirit. Guess what happens in that marriage then? Strife. There's conflict. It's hard. Right? How many parents do we have here? Keep your arms raised. How many would agree with this statement? I understand why lions eat their young. It's hard. Parenting children are hard. Right? You need energy. Fill the spirit. Okay? You're, I know there are plenty of you now, especially after the pandemic. It's hard working right now. You're overworked because there's, people just don't work. If that's you, raise your hand. Difficult employer-employee relationships, right? You will leave sometimes a, a better-paying job to get away from difficult working conditions, right? To get a better job, or, you know, to a little less pay, but you don't have that. Well, that's because it's hard. It's hard to submit to a, a boss that's a jerk, right? That's why Debbie doesn't have, ever have to worry about that. <laughs> So, you know, we typically think that the result of being filled with the Spirit is I get the power to do miracles and there's the fruit of the Spirit, right? I'm telling you, it goes far beyond that. It is a life. So, since there are many fillings of the Holy Spirit, we should expect there to be testimony from the early church of multiple fillings. Here's what we find. Now, keep in mind that these verses we're going to look at, that the, and turn to Acts chapter 1, by the way just as you listen to me here, the early disciples first received the Holy Spirit when? The day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. And it is described, as we'll see, as being filled with the Holy Spirit. And also remember that Jesus told them a result of being filled or empowered by the Holy Spirit was to boldly witness. Look at Acts 1.8. You there? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So you have the Holy Spirit in you and you are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And one of the immediate results will be or should be within you a desire to share your faith. And you will share your faith. But you have to ask yourself the question. And I won't embarrass us here. When was the last time you shared your faith? This is a result of being filled with the Spirit. If you're not sharing your faith, then maybe you're not filled with the Spirit, right? This is a, I mean, this is a direct result of that. But here's what happened. Look in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. The Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Verse 14. 
But Peter, taking a stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared them. He preaches the gospel to them. Pick it up in verse 37. Now when they heard this, meaning Peter's sermon, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. In verse 41, So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. So after being filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, okay, look at Acts chapter 4. So they've had this initial experience. They're filled with the Spirit. Peter is boldly witnessing, and it's effective, and people are coming to Christ. Look at Acts 4, 7 to 10. Peter, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and John, but Peter, they've healed a man. And there's controversy over it. So they're brought before the leaders in Jerusalem. And in verse 7, when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Now notice that they recognized that it was what? Power. Then Peter, what does it say, verse 8? Filled the Holy Spirit. Now he's, there's one filling. Now here's another one. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. Now, when you read this, you should say, I do not recognize Peter. But what do I mean by that, Pastor? Because when put to the test before he had the Spirit, what did he do? He denied Jesus. Now he is not. Now he is boldly preaching Jesus. What's the difference? The Holy Spirit. And he has a second filling that we have recorded here. So there's the first filling at Pentecost. Now there's this filling. Okay? And he's empowered to be a witness of the Holy Spirit. It's not just him. The early disciples. Okay? Look at verse 22. After Peter and John were released, what happens? And when they had prayed, and there was 120 that was probably there with Jesus when he ascended into heaven. So there could be as many as 120 people here. When they prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. So they were filled at Pentecost. Now they're filled in this room a second time. And for Peter, it would have been what? A third filling. Okay? You see that? And what happened as a result of it? What does verse 22 say? That's a question. What does verse 22 say of chapter 4? And began to speak the word of God with boldness. So clearly, when you are filled with the Spirit, you will boldly speak the word of God. You see that? Did I put the wrong verse in there? Is it verse 13? It's my fault. I wasn't filled at that moment. Yes, thank you. So. What's the right, right verse there then? 
verse 13. There we go. Okay. Look at uh, Acts chapter 6, verses 5 3. That should be the choosing of Stephen. This statement found approval in the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. You see that? Verse 8, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. So what was the lifestyle of Stephen? He was full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, so he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? He was chosen to be a deacon, basically, because remember the, 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 the argument that was going on, the, the conflict in the jury church, and the apostle says, we're not going to deal with this. We'll, we'll find required men, you know, qualified men, and they'll take care of it. Stephen was one of them. And obviously what the requirement was, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he filled the Holy Spirit. What does he do? Through him, great wonders and signs among the people. What does that mean? What are great signs and wonders? Miracles, Miracles healings, casting out demons, all that. Okay? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Acts 1 8 to be my witnesses. That word power there, you should know this, is the what Greek word? Dunamis means miracle working power. You want to do miracles? It's this Holy Spirit will do it through you as he fills you. Well, how about Acts 7, verse 55? He's boldly preaching to the leadership in Jerusalem, and they're about ready to stone him to death. But what does verse 55 say? But being full of the Holy Spirit. So here we see another filling. He gazed intently to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now mind you, he is being stoned to death. Look at verse 60. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep, meaning he died. My point is this. To be so forgiving while being murdered has to come from a power source outside of man because of our fallen nature. And what does the text only lead us to believe? It was the Holy Spirit in him that enabled him to do what? To bless when being persecuted. So you want to know if you're filled with the Holy Spirit? You get insulted, you bless. If you get insulted and you're offended, what does that mean? You are not filled with the Holy Spirit. You are not full of the Holy Spirit. And you get, yes. This can only come from the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And so, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you'll receive power to do miracles. Yeah, we'll talk about the fruit of the Spirit in a moment here. Okay? But also to deal with relationships. To worship. To praise. And guess what? Also now, to bless while you are being persecuted. Maybe you haven't thought of these things, but this is what the spirit-filled life is like. It's how it is to be lived out. These are results of being filled with the spirit. See, it's not a one-time event. It's a lifetime event. In fact, it is so important that Paul regularly prays for this in his followers. Let's talk about the prayers to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Let's 
I've been over this before. Sorry, verse 14. Paul has laid out the specifications of a believer in the first two chapters of Ephesians. Remember what it's, it's like? You're an automobile, you're a car, right? He says, but you've got all this stuff, here's how you use it. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. They would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints was the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church, in Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That's Paul's prayer. Now, if you recall, and I'm hoping you get this stuff because they did a whole sermon series on it not too long ago. There are five steps in here, and they are what? Sequential. You take the first step, then you're able to take the next step. And once you take the second step, then you can take the third step. Okay? You can't go from step one to step four. They're sequential. Remember that? You must complete the first step before you go on the next step. So what's the first step? That he would grant you, okay? You see this in verse 16? That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Well, what is Paul talking about in that phrase, strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And what is he talking about specifically? The Spirit-filled life. There's an empowerment that you need. Okay? And where does it happen? Inside you. Okay? Let me put you this way. This is the baptism with the Holy Spirit. You need Holy Spirit power to complete all these steps. Okay? And now the next step is this. So I, I had this experience where I'm empowered with the Holy Spirit, just like we read with the, in Acts with the apostles and so on, the disciples. Then I can do the next step. And what's the next step? That's verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now what does this step mean? Well, the word dwell means what? Do you remember this? To settle down. To settle down. And the question is, is Christ able to settle down or think of it to be comfortable in your heart? With all that's going on in your heart, is he going to be comfortable with that? This is a part of the sermon that gets really convicting. Okay? Ari Torrey says this in his book, In the Holy Spirit. So it is clear that every regenerate man, meaning a believer, has the Holy Spirit. But in many a believer, the Holy Spirit dwells away back in some hidden sanctuary of his person, a way back of conscious experience. So just as it is one thing to have a guest in your house living in some remote corner of the house where you scarcely know that he is there, and quite another thing to have the guest taking the entire possession of the house, 
just so there's one thing to have the Holy Spirit dwelling away back of consciousness in some hidden sanctuary of our being and quite another thing to have the Holy Spirit taking entire possession of the house. In other words, it's one thing to have the Holy Spirit really dwelling in us, but we're not conscious of his dwelling and quite another thing to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There is a separate experience of the Holy Spirit that I just read to you in Acts that you must enter into. And then there's another experience of that. And another. And another. Those are the multiple fillings. Okay? Now there's a little book that you may recall this called My Heart, Christ's Home, written by Robert Munger. And it's an allegorical story. I just want you to sit back and listen for a few minutes here. Where a person's heart is compared to a house. And Jesus enters the home, which indicates that the person is a Christian. He's in the life of the person. In the joy of this new relationship, he says to Jesus, Lord, I want this heart of mine to be yours. I want you to settle down here and be perfectly at home. Everything that I have is yours. Let me show you around. And the first room they enter is a library. Now, in this home, the library, of course, correlates to the mind. And as Jesus looks around at the books and magazines, I begin to feel uncomfortable. Somehow his presence sheds light on those things in this room that did not bother me before, but now I'm ashamed that they're in my house. By the way, your thoughts, did you notice, pass before God before they enter your mind. Did you know that? Scriptures tell us that. Lord, I say, this room needs to be cleaned up. Will you help me make it what it ought to be? Sure, he replies. From the library, we went into the dining room. In my home, this room is the appetites and desires of my heart. After he sits down, I offer to make him a meal off the menu of my appetites and desires. Money, fame, prestige. After serving him, I notice he does not eat any of it. I ask, what's wrong? He replies, I have food to eat that you do not know of. If you want food that really satisfies, do the will of my Father. Stop seeking your own desires. Seek my kingdom first. That food will satisfy you. Then from the dining room, we go to the living room. It's a delightful place, and Jesus says, let us come here often so we can fellowship together. I'll be here early every morning. Meet me here, and we'll start the day together. So morning after morning, I would spend time with Jesus. But over time, under the pressures of other responsibilities, this time becomes shortened. Eventually, I began to miss days. Urgent matters crowd out the times of meeting with Jesus. And one morning, as I passed by the living room, I saw Jesus sitting there waiting for me. I thought to myself, I invited him into my heart. He is my guest. He is my Savior, and I'm neglecting him. I walk into the room and say, Master, please forgive me. Have you been here every morning? Well, yes, he replies. Remember, I love you and redeemed you at great cost. I value our friendship. One day, Jesus comes with me to my rec room, where I go for fun and fellowship. 
I was hoping he would not come into my rec room. There were certain activities that I wanted to keep for myself. And as I was about to head out with my friends, Jesus asked if he could come along, and I said, no. No. You wouldn't be interested in what I was doing. But Jesus replied, I thought we were going to do everything together. I'm willing to go where you go. But I replied, let's do something together tomorrow night. Yet that night, I didn't enjoy myself. In fact, I felt miserable. I came home and said, Lord, I know that I can't have a good time without you now. Another day, I found Jesus standing in front of the hall closet. Why is this door locked, he asked. Well, this closet is where I keep a few personal things that I did not want anyone to know about. I knew they were dead and rotting things from my past life. I just wasn't ready to open the door of my heart to Jesus, and I refused to give Jesus the key. Jesus said, I will never be truly comfortable in your house unless this rotten smell is removed. I reluctantly agreed, but said, I will need help cleaning it up. I can't do this on my own. And Jesus replied, give me the key, and I will clean it up with you. And after all the work had been done, I had never felt such victory and release. And one day it finally dawned upon me, why don't I just sign over the title of my house to Jesus and let him be the owner of my heart? When I mentioned my idea to Jesus, he replied, this is what I want. This is what I've been waiting for. As soon as I gave him ownership of my home, my life has been different as Jesus has settled down in my heart. That is verse 17. Look at it again. That Jesus Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Okay? Now, is that easy, what I just read to you? No. No. And to do this requires two things. The power to surrender and the desire to surrender. Folks, this is what happens when you take that first step. And what's the first step? What's verse 16 say? Be strengthened with power, you follow me? By the Holy Spirit in your inner man. That's the Spirit-filled life. You cannot surrender to Jesus and and make him Lord of your life unless you are empowered to do so by God. You won't desire it and have the ability to do it unless it is from him, from the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, we'll, we'll get here in a minute. You need a strengthening with power by the Holy Spirit in your inner being. That's the first step. Then you're able to make him complete Lord of your life, which then leads to the third step, in that you, verse 17, being rooted and grounded in love. Now, what does that mean? God is love. The world will know that we are followers of Jesus by what? By our love, right? Now, this step is talking about uh, being rooted and grounded, talking about a foundation. This step involves living life from a completely different foundation than the foundation you've previously lived your life from. You are now to live your life out of a foundation of love. 
Because what is the goal of all of life? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to also what? Love your neighbor as Jesus would love them. And this we're talking about an agape love. That's God's love, an unconditional love. So as the Holy Spirit begins to live the life of Jesus through me, and the only way he's going to live the life of Jesus through me is if I do the step before that, which is what? Surrender every area of my to, life to his lordship. Then he's able to live his life through me, and it will be a life of love. I will be rooted and grounded, you see, in love. And it's unconditional love. In fact, everything you'll do will be done in love. Because here's the good thing about the Holy Spirit. He wants you to be rich. Because if you don't do everything in love, you can give your whole, you sacrifice your body. If it's not done in love, what does it profit you? Nothing. If you do it in love, what does it do? It profits you. He wants you to be rich. He wants you to have many rewards in heaven. But the key to that is you've got to be strengthened, surrender completely to him, to his lordship. Then you'll learn to love. This is how you now live a life. It plays out like this. Your first reaction is simply love. Since the world does not comprehend love, okay, you begin to understand Christ's love in a much deeper way that surpasses knowledge. That's the fourth step. So I'm strengthened by the Holy Spirit. I'm surrendering to him. He's my Lord. I'm starting to live a life of love. Then I get go into a deeper understanding of the love. Look at this. May be able to comprehend with all the saints was the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. What does that mean? It means that when you're at work and someone insults you, you respond in love and you bless them. Does that make sense? Does, the wor- does that make sense in the world? No. No. That means that if somebody were to murder your child, what's the first thing you do? Forgive. Does that make sense? No. But you're going to begin to understand this love, the breadth, width, and height, and depth of the love of God that is, it surpasses knowledge. That's the way of God. Then you go to the next step. Once you're, 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 you're moving in that direction, you experience the fullness of God. I don't know what that means. That you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. There is a deeper filling that's called the fullness of God that is available to us. And then finally, God is able to take you to the final step, to do the unimaginable according to the power now freely at work in you. See how it works? That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Because he's strengthened you, because he's now comfortable in your life, because you are now living a life of love and you're understanding the love of God and you're filled with all the fullness of God, he is able through you to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. God can do the miraculous through you, but only until you go through those steps. And so it's simple to say this now, and here's this observations on this, that prayer, that the empowerment, the filling, the baptism of the whole, with the Holy Spirit is given so that Jesus may increasingly reign as Lord in the believer's life. Did you know that? This is why you are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a result of being filled with the Spirit, that he may reign increasingly 
as the Lord over every area of your life. To live a life characterized by love, and then God works powerfully through the believer to do the unimaginable. Those are all results of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Is this, has this been your understanding of the Spirit-filled life? My guess is it probably has not. It gets even better. There's another prayer. This is the prayer for the Colossians to be strengthened with power. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Did I put it up here? No. Colossians chapter 1. Now you could say, you could rephrase the word spirit-filled life, by the way, and simply say, becoming Christ-like. Does that make sense? But you can't become Christ-like unless you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at this prayer for the Colossians. Chapter 1, verses 9 and 12. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing the knowledge of God. Strengthen with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Let me break this down a little bit here briefly. Paul wants the Colossians to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. It's a knowledge that is only spiritually discerned. You see that? Filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now this means, folks, only Christians can know God's will. Because it's spiritually discerned. Now the question is, what is his will? So if you ever want to know what God's will for your life is, here's one answer. Now what does it say? To daily conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the Lord. See that? So you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What does the word walk mean? Remember this? It's your daily conduct. So you're, going to, you're daily going to conduct yourself in a manner that, is, that represents God well. It's worthy of the Lord. What's the next? What is God's will as well? To please him in all respects. Okay? Third point, what is God's will? Bearing fruit in every good work. Fourth point, to know God better, increase in the knowledge of God. That is God's will, okay, in a nutshell. You got that? Pretty simple. The question is, how is this done? Well, what does verse 11 say? Strengthen with all power according to his glorious might. That's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And there's a special emphasis on power because it uses two words for power there. What is it? Power and might. There's a double power theme here, okay? So I am strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. That's referring to what? The filling of the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. What are the results then of this strengthening? Yeah, I'll know God's will, but what does it say? For the, and we do not like this, for the what? Attaining of all steadfastness and patience, number one. Number two, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. So the results of the strengthening, the results of the filling of the Holy Spirit is to endure patiently and to joyfully give thanks. 
So the observations, pretty simple. And I put it in words that maybe you understand even better. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit is given so that we may grow in perseverance, long-suffering, joy, and thanksgiving. So the result of being filled with the Spirit, you're given the Spirit so that you can endure patiently. Do you like that? I do not like that. But if you're married, guess what? Will you not have to endure patiently? Right? You have children that don't walk with the Lord. Are you going to have to endure patiently as you parent them? The stubborn child? Oh, my gosh. Endure patiently, right? And I got to choose through the power of the Holy Spirit to thank God for that child when I want to eat him. Right? Now, we come to, and I won't have you go there in a lot of time, the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now we know that, right? You typically hear this. The result of being filled with the Spirit is you're going to receive power, and you're going to have the, and the fruit of the Spirit will be evident in your life. So you have power and a better quality of life. Well, I'm trying to show you that it's a lot more than that. Okay? But look, listen to this list again. You should know this by heart. This list represents the fruit or the result of being filled or controlled by the Spirit. And I want you to notice the similarities to what we've already discussed. The first fruit is what? Love. That's the mark of a believer. Does that sound familiar to what Paul has prayed before? Notice the word patience. Why don't you substitute the word patience for long-suffering? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Ugh. The ability to endure patiently is what that means. So the fruit of the Spirit is to love, joy, p- peace, patience. Love, joy, peace, endure patiently. And then you have joy. We can be joyful in any circumstance. That's what the Bible says about the Spirit-filled life. You are indwelt by the Spirit at the moment of salvation. We'll get over that next week. And then you are, have another experience where you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And we simply defined that and looked at the results of that. It is a Spirit-filled life. A moment-by-moment filling to love, to endure, to increase in the knowledge of God. To have this, the desire and the strength to moment by moment surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. To learn to love all of that. If you don't speak about the spiritual life and the Holy Spirit, if He is not really the center, and I'm saying Spirit, I can also say Jesus, but let's just talk about the Holy Spirit. If he's not the center, the driving force in your life, your life won't be any different than the world. And I've told you that it isn't any different, is it? Every year I read the statistics. We're not that different, but we should be different. But see, the issue isn't God, is it? It's us. It's you and me. Well, if you want to enter into a deeper experience of the Holy Spirit... There are really two things you need to, two concepts you need to grasp. 
surrender, and dependence. Now, you remember this? There's a cardinal rule in swimming if you're a lifeguard. It's one of the first things they teach you. Whenever someone is drowning, you go in the water and you swim right up to them and then you stay about two feet away. As long as that person thinks they can save themselves, they're a danger to themselves and to you. But the moment that they go under and they're out of energy, that's when you make your move because then the person will no longer fight you, but they will work with you to get to shallow waters or to get out of the pool. They have, see, that person has to surrender to your strength and depend upon your strength to get them out of their situation. You have to die to self. Surrender your ways to his ways and depend upon him for life. And how often is that done? Moment by moment. It's not even daily. That's the thing. It's so. It's a moment by moment choice. Continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, are you going to live that perfectly? No. Is there forgiveness? Yes. God provide confession. But you can always re-surrender to Him. Okay. So, how do I enter into the Spirit-filled life? Well, we'll answer that next week. But this week, I want you to answer this question. What is holding you back from being filled with the Holy Spirit? In other words, what is holding Jesus back from being comfortable in your heart? Because if you don't give him that, the, the title of your home, he will never really be comfortable. And you'll be stuck. You'll never learn to love. you never know the fullness of God. God will never do anything miraculous through you. Okay? This is why you have a lot of people in, in, for years and years and years in Pentecostal Charismatic or some of these guy churches that have this experience with the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about tongues a little bit next week. And, and they've had this, this experience, but then it just stops. And their lives don't really change. Well, they received the Holy Spirit. That's good. But the, he wasn't Lord. And they weren't becoming more and more Christ-like. And that's not the goal here, is it? Not at all. Let's pray. Lord, as we close with this final song, I pray that everybody would take a look. Start with myself. Lord, what is holding me back? What is holding us back from being filled with the Holy Spirit. May we surrender to you in a more increasing way, I pray in Jesus' name this morning. Amen.